Well, good morning, Chapel Rock. I'm glad you're here this morning to be a part of our study on broken pieces. Last week, Casey had the opportunity to introduce the book of Romans to us and talk about uh, brokenness in our worship, and not just worship here in this auditorium, but uh, personal worship, and uh, how that's broken uh, by our disobedience to God, and, and how we can reclaim that and move forward. Today, I have the privilege of uh, taking the next step in the book of Romans, talking about the broken pieces that are called broken standards, and how God has certain standards, and that when we break them, uh, we need to make sure we get those back in line and do that which is right in God's eyes and find a relationship with Him once again. I'm grateful that we have the privilege to gather together to do this very thing. But before we get into that passage, before we talk about what God has given us today, let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, we are so grateful that You've given us the privilege of gathering here. And Father, I know that um, there are some who can't make it today because of their health, uh, because of the uh, virus that has uh, spread. And so I pray, Lord, that you'll bless them and take care of them and, Lord, heal them if they do uh, have a sickness. But, Lord, I pray that soon, one of these days, we'll all be able to gather back here and that, Father, we'll have a great time of rejoicing and fellowship and worship in your name when all the voices and all the hearts and all the lives gather once again. And Father, we're grateful for your word and how it speaks clearly to us. And I pray, God, today that this passage will speak volumes to us. And that, Father, we'll be able to um, apply these things in our lives. So, Lord, just be with us as we enter into this time, this message. I pray we'll hear what we need to hear and see what we need to see. And then use those things to draw close to you. Thank you for Jesus who makes this all possible. It's in his name that I pray. Amen and amen. You've probably heard the phrase that's been used uh, often these days, it seems like. The phrase that says, behavior that is detrimental to the team. Now, often it's used in the world of sports when a player has done something that doesn't meet the standards that the team and the coach and the organization has set. And so when that player violates those standards, when that player either ethically or morally or just with their behavior in a negative fashion goes against the standards that are set by the team, then oftentimes they are separated from the team. They're released away from the team for behavior that's detrimental to the team. That's often used as well in the business world. In the business world, at times, uh, we see that someone who uh, goes into the office or goes into that business and they violate all the standards that has been set by that business and by the CEO and, and the owner, and they violate all those things, they can be released based on behavior that is detrimental to the team. It simply means that they've violated that which the team or the organization has put in place. We can see that on a regular basis, and we hear about it. In fact, it, was, it wasn't just four or five years ago, one of the top running backs in the NFL, I won't mention a name here, but um, 
he was caught on video in an elevator in a hotel uh, and he was upset and you could tell he was arguing with his then girlfriend and soon to be wife and he was so upset and, and so uh, negative in that moment that he punched her in the face. It was caught on the video feed. It was sent to his team into the NFL offices. He was released from his team for behavior that was detrimental to the team. And even though that young man was an outstanding athlete, he has never played in the NFL again because of his behavior. Now, you're saying, shouldn't that happen more often, you know? Probably so. But, but it happened that day for that, that individual, that young man. So the question is for every single one of us today, what standards do we live our life by? Do we live our life by the standards of the world? Do we live our lives by the standards that man has come up with? Do we live our lives by the standards that have been set by our culture? Or do we live our lives set by the standards of God? That God has put in place. You know, the Bible. The place where God has given us guidelines for our behavior. Where he has given us boundaries by which to stay within and and he's given us those things that will help us have a, a better life, an abundant life here, and hopefully then an eternal life with him in heaven. Now the good thing about God and his standards and his teaching in his word is that God doesn't always just release us or separate us from the team based on behavior that is detrimental to his team. And you know why? It's called grace. It's by His grace that we have been saved. It's by His grace that we stay within His good means. It's by His grace that we stand within the boundaries of that which He teaches in His Word. It's by His grace that we're not released. And so today we want to take a look at that. In the passage of Scripture that we have, we learn about that amazing grace. And we learn about what it means to go against those standards. When John Newton wrote that song, Amazing Grace, he said, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And t'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. Listen now. The hour I first believed. When we believe in Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in Him, that brings on God's grace in our life. And even though sometimes we break His standards, God's grace can come into play. We don't get released from the team. We simply have to repent and come back into His good graces. In Romans, the third chapter, there's a passage. You're familiar with it. You've heard it read many times. You've probably heard sermons from this text before. Beginning in Romans, the third chapter, beginning in verse 21, the Bible says this, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Now this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe. Now there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God 
And then they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice as the pre at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Hmm. It's a simple passage. We want to handle it in a simple form today. There are two things you need to note about this passage and about the broken standards of God. The first thing is this. Here's the problem. We have all sinned. That's the problem. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned against God. In other words, we've all broken God's standards in our life. Now it goes on later on in the book of Romans, in chapter 6, several verses there talk about this very same thing. And I want to take you there into Romans 6, and I want you to see these verses for what they say. So what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, in Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Do you see what he's saying right there? When you see someone go into the baptistry and they take a breath... They die. They're buried in the baptismal waters and they're raised to walk a brand new life. They're resurrected into a new life in Christ. Baptism is a signification of what Paul wrote here in Romans, the sixth chapter. He goes on to say then, after verse 4, down to verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, you are under grace." And then down to verse 23 in Romans 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Paul doesn't just stop in chapter 3. He goes on in chapters 4, 5, and then into 6, which Casey will be covering in the next couple of weeks. And he talks about the fact that when we break God's standards, we are sinning. So what is sin? What is sin? Well, sin simply is, comes in several different ways. It comes in a way that we might be disobedient to God. It comes in rebellion. It comes in a self-absorbed life. But most often we note it as something where we miss the mark. We miss the mark. That's the definition of the Greek word there. We miss the mark. We, we don't hit the target. We, we don't hit the standard of God. Here's the standard of God, and we come in about right here. And we miss it, and we break it, and therefore we've got to get back with God through repentance in our life. 
I don't know if you, uh, as a kid, uh, had what I had. Uh, one, one year to my birthday, um, I was given a bow and arrow set. Now, not the real kind, you know. I was like third grade or something, you know. And mom and dad gave me this little bow with these three arrows that had suction cups on the end. You ever had one of those, you know? And the bow wasn't worth anything. It only stretched about right here. It would only shoot about 10 feet, maybe, you know, on a good day. And we got that bow and arrow, and man, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And the coolest thing in the world for me was I would take those arrows with the little suction cups on the end, and, and I would lick them. And then I would put them in the bow, and I would let fly, and they would stick to my mom's glass door. And then I would shoot another one, and it would stick, and another one would stick, and I'd go get them, I'd pull them off, pop, 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 and I would lick them again, and I'd do it again. And every time you took it off, it left this little little circle on mom's glass door. Now, my brother and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. My mom didn't think it was very cool. One thing I noticed, though, after playing with that bow and arrow, I noticed that the shaft on the arrows were kind of warped. You know, it probably cost dad like two bucks, you know, to buy it. And I noticed if I wanted to hit the mark right here, I had to find another target, not the door. So I found other targets. If I want to hit the target here, I sort of had to aim over here. Because the arrow would take off from the bow and go, mm, like that, you know. And you didn't hit the target very often because you didn't know if that arrow was bent a little bit or a lot more or what degree or anything else. You just knew it was a bow and arrow and you liked using it. But most often when I'd fire that arrow... I'd miss the mark. And that's what we do with sin. That's what we do with sin in our lives. When we have the opportunity to hit the standard of God, we have the opportunity to hit the mark, to make sure we're doing what God wants us to do as defined in Scripture, we oftentimes miss the mark. And by missing the mark, we sin against the Father. Now, that's a problem because that sin separates us from God. And so, so what we do is we not only sin in our lives, but we fall short of his glory. The verse 23 says we have all sinned and we fall short of his glory. What is his glory? Well, God's glory is his perfect standard of righteousness. It's what his glory is. It's righteousness and it's perfect. And that's where he wants us to be. Great biblical example of that is go with me in your minds back to the book of Genesis. The creation. God creates this wonderful garden. And in this garden, there's everything that Adam and Eve could ever want. And God said, in that instance, he said, you can eat of anything in the garden. Now remember, these are God's standards. You can eat of anything in the garden, just not of that tree. One tree, one tree. That's the standard. You cannot eat of that one. You can eat anything else in the garden, but don't eat of that one. Okay? What did Adam and Eve do? They rebelled. They sinned against God, and they ate of that tree. And when they ate of that tree, there in the garden was all of God's glory. He had come and walked in the garden before. They were in his presence, in his glory. And because they ate of that one tree and sinned against God... God said, you're going to have to leave. You can't come back in the garden. And by the way, Adam, you're going to have to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. And Eve, when you have children, you'll have pain. You can't come back. They fell short 
of God's glory. Why? Because they broke his standard. Why? Because he said, this one tree, don't eat of it, and they did. And yet, through the law, which God put in place, and through the sacrificial system, they could come back into his good grace when they would repent of their sin and not stay in it. Hmm. His grace was already being given to us. Kyle Eidelman, who preaches at Southeast Christian in Louisville, in his book, Grace is Greater, tells a story on himself. He said one day he and his wife were having a disagreement, and he got really upset, and, and they were in their bathroom off of their bedroom, and he spun around and punched a hole in the closet door. And he didn't know why he did it. He just did it. He punched a hole in the closet door. And, um, and so he, he said, you know, the disagreement was there. He really never repented with her and never really said, I'm sorry, and that kind of thing. He said, he said so he went out and he bought a long mirror, and he covered up the hole in the door with a mirror. He said, as long as I don't see it, no big deal. I regretted doing it, but, you know. He said several months went by, and one night he was laying in bed, and He's getting ready to preach that Sunday on regrets and repentance. And he says he's laying in bed and his wife's already asleep and he's thinking through his sermon and all of a sudden he hears this horrible crash. And the mirror had fallen off that closet door and onto the floor, the tile floor, in the bathroom and just went into a hundred pieces. He said he jumped out of bed, he ran in, saw what was going on, and he thought, oh man. And, and he said he got down on his hands and knees and began to carefully pick up the pieces the broken pieces. And then he looked up and saw the hole in the door. And he looked down at the broken pieces of mirror and he saw himself. And he looked back up the hole and down at the mirror pieces. And Kyle said he began to tear up and he began to cry. He regretted doing what he did at that door, but he regretted more never going to his wife and taking care of the situation and repenting and saying, I'm sorry. And he said that's when he began to feel like he needed to tell God he was sorry. His wife entered the door. She'd heard the crash. She got up. And he said he began to repent and ask for her forgiveness. And they began to cry together and they began to pick up the pieces together. He said he realized that God's grace was sufficient and he said the next day he was out in the kitchen with her and he said, you know what, I'm feeling convicted that God wants me to tell this story this Sunday in my sermon. He said, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid to tell it because I'm afraid of what people will think of me. The people who are listening in the sermon, the people who read my books, the people who hear me speak, you know, I'm afraid what they'll think of me. He said his wife just smiled and said, oh honey, you're not the only one that's ever put a hole in a door. If God wants you to tell the story, tell it. So that Sunday, preaching in Southeast, he told that story. And he told how he didn't want to regret doing that anymore. He needed to repent and gain the grace of God in his life. And he told that story, and he said after he was done, he was standing down front, and here comes one of the elders, beelining right toward him. And he said, I hung my head and I knew he was going to come and say, what in the world? You know, you're telling that story. And now, but he said, the elder walked up and grabbed him by the shoulders and said, Kyle, there's a hole in my wall that's covered up by a picture. 
And he told him the story why. And Kyle said when he was done, he looked over this guy's shoulder, and there were five more men lined up. And every single one of them said they had a hole in a wall or a door in their home. He said that happened after every service that weekend. Every service. At the end of that story in his book, Grace is Greater, Kyle writes these words, If you come to my house today and walk into my closet, you'll still find a hole in the door. I never replaced the door. I didn't cover it back up with another mirror. I decided to leave it exposed because a strange thing happened. That hole in the door, which I wanted to hide because it reminded me of something I regretted, started to remind me of how much I am loved. A busted closet door became a trophy of God's grace because grace is greater than a hole in my closet door. And God's grace is greater than the hole that's in your life right now. If you'll just accept that, that you've got a problem. We've all sinned. But there's a solution. That's the second thing in this text, the solution. And the solution is this. Put your faith in Jesus. In other words, how am I going to find my salvation? How am I going to find my redemption? There are two things that are told to us in this text that will help us see that. If you go to verse 22, it says, it comes through, it comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. Through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it comes through. God's grace is applied through our faith in Jesus Christ. Remind yourself that it's in Jesus that you find the grace that will fix the hole in your life. Yeah. In Fairfax, Virginia, in the year 2000, June 23rd to be exact, a deaf couple was in court that day um, being prosecuted for being behind in the rent. The landlord wanted his $250. What had happened was a deaf couple began to date, and then they got married, and when they got married, they moved in together into the guy's apartment, and um, when they got married, for some odd reason, which I don't understand, the government took away some of their disability just because they got married. And they were struggling to make their rent payments, and now the landlord wanted his money. And so the attorney for the landlord had him in court, and the judge, Judge uh, Daniel McDonough, was on the bench, and he heard this story. And he looked at this couple, and he said for some reason in his mind he could not drop the gavel and say, you got to pay. And they said all of a sudden he stood up out of his chair. He began to walk off, uh, off of where he was seated and, and out, out the door that went to his office. He told the bailiff, I'll be back in a minute. He went to his office, and kid did, he came back in a minute, and he walked straight to the attorney of the landlord, handed him $250 in cash from his own pocket, and said, there, it's paid. And now I'll drop my gavel, and the unjust, it's already paid for them. They're good. Boom. Done. The just paid for the unjust. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. At the cross, he paid the price that you could not pay. That's called God's grace. And when God gives you his grace, it's a permanent thing. 
He wants you to live in His grace. He doesn't want you to break the standards anymore. He doesn't want you to live like that in sin. He wants you to come to Him, receive His grace, and allow Him to take those things away. The regrets are gone because repentance is in place. So the first thing you need to do is you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it comes. It's through him. And secondly, it says in that text in verse 24 that we find we do it through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. The redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. Redemption means we've been bought back an expensive price. The expensive price was the death of Jesus on the cross. And when we're bought back, we don't have to do anything because God's already done the work and God's already given us his grace through that redemptive act of Jesus Christ dying in our place. And now we can go beyond the broken standards, beyond the sin, and we can find redemption in and by Jesus. There's a solution. The problem is we've all sinned. The solution is... We can find God's grace by putting our faith in Jesus. Now, there are some scriptures that we want to take a look at as well, and I want the scripture just to speak for itself. If we could pull up uh, John, the third chapter, and show you this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, Jesus, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Hmm. Then you go to Galatians, the third chapter. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Yeah. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, for there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then in Ephesians 1, it does the same thing. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, in him we have redemption. There's that word redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Did you notice how many times it said in or through Christ? Did you notice how many times it said we receive the grace of God through our faith in Jesus Christ? Just let the scripture speak for itself. Why would God do that? Why would God choose us to redeem us? Well, Deuteronomy 7 tells us why. 
The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. That's why he chose you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to remain in a broken standard situation. He doesn't want you to remain in your sin. He wants you to be a part of his family, his forever family, the family of God. In Ephesians, the second chapter, we're told again, God has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins, transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it to us. Hmm. Grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. How does he do that? Through his redemptive act on the cross. You see, we've got a problem. The problem is we've all sinned. And the solution is that we need to put our faith in Jesus. That's the only way we'll ever find hope. The old gospel song says, <clears throat> called Sinners Saved by Grace, if you could see what I once was, if you could go with me back to where I started from, then I know you would see a miracle of love that took me in its sweet embrace and made me what I am today, just an old sinner saved by grace. And how could I boast of anything I've ever seen or done? How could I dare to claim as mine the victories God has won? Where would I have been had God not brought me gently to this place? I'm here to say I'm nothing but a sinner saved by grace. For I am just a sinner saved by grace. When I stood condemned to death, he took my place. Now I live and breathe in freedom with each breath of life I take. Loved and forgiven, back with the living. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. At the end of the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, in verse 31, the Bible says, All these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in believing, you may have life in him. The problem is we've all sinned. The solution is put your faith in Jesus. You can do that today. It's decision time at Chapel Rock. You can put your faith in Christ today. You can ask him to take care of your sin. You can invite his grace into your life we have people prepared to talk with you, people who will pray with you. If you need to make a decision today, you don't want to live, you don't want to live in broken standards. You don't want to live in sin anymore. You don't want to live outside of God's will. You don't want to have separation from him. Then put your faith in him. Put your faith in him and receive his grace. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And as we sing, why don't you come? Our Father in heaven, Father, this passage is so clear. 
that we've all messed up. We've all broken the standards you set for us. And by doing so, Father, we have separated ourselves. We've, <clears throat> we've decided to do it on our own. And yet, Father, we know that you took care of the problem by sending your son to die on the cross. And so, God, I pray that here today, if there's anyone who needs to get rid of the sin problem in their life, who needs to stop living in regret and come to repentance, if there's anyone who just wants to be done with the sinful part of their life, and I pray, Father, that they will come today and take care of that. I pray, Father, that the steps, because they're open, they'll be filled with people. If there needs to be, they'll be filled with people who want to repent. Or they'll be filled with people who want to pray for someone who they know needs to come to you. But, Father, if there's someone who needs to change their life and to put their faith in Jesus, then send them down front, Lord, please. And whatever decision needs to be made today, I pray it'll be made before they leave so that you'll receive the glory. And we'll be back in your glory again. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Why don't you stand? Why don't you sing? As we sing, you come.